0: JPMC and welcome back to Life Happens. My name is Kate Cadet and this podcast is all about real life employees and their real life stories, the good, the bad and the unexpected. Along the way we hope to show that if you're experiencing something challenging in your own life, chances are you won't be the only one and there may be ways the firm can help. In this month's episode, we're talking about addiction specifically alcohol addiction, and we're on the line to Paul Fuhr, a marketing manager for JPMC's Digital Operations and Technology Learning Team in Columbus, Ohio. Welcome, Paul. Thanks for joining us. Oh, thanks so much for having me. I appreciate it. Last September, you wrote a piece for Company Home intranet page about your experience with alcohol addiction, and it was one of the most affecting pieces of writing I had ever read. You were talking about crashing through life and crashing
1: through relationships. How did this all begin? So, uh, yeah, I appreciate you saying that about my piece, too. Um, You know, it's, you know, a difficult thing to share with people, uh, but I was a human wrecking ball for a long time. It started when I was um, uh, in my teens, you know, uh, starting to, you know, (laughs) it started in a closet. I had snuck uh, two bottles of Zima, if you remember that drink, into uh, my closet. And I was like, let's try this, you know, see what this tastes like. And I just remember being a very awkward teenager and being very, um, you know, you know, uncomfortable in my own skin. But drinking that for some reason just filled me up with this like electric charge. And it's how I wanted to feel for the rest of my life, you know. And I just realized I've got to chase that for as long as I possibly can. And dealing and grappling with that, you know, is a really difficult thing because it's unsustainable. But I tried it for, you know, 20 some years and, you know, um, it destroyed a lot of things in my life.
0: So it started pretty young. So in teenage years, I guess a lot of Alcohol or experimenting with alcohol happens then. You say in the piece that almost no one noticed. How easy was it or how easy do you think it is to hide
1: addiction and to create a scenario
0: that you want others to believe?
1: It's a good question. Uh, the thing with alcoholism is that it doesn't start for uh, no one signs up to be an alcoholic. I always say that, you know, nobody subscribes to be that. But alcoholism is a lot different than other addictions because it's uh, it's socially accepted to drink. You know, it's everywhere you look. It's advertised, it's pushed, you know, a lot of family functions center around it, you know, backyard barbecues, weddings, even work events, you know, there's champagne or, you know, there's wine and it's just socially accepted. So you can hide it pretty easily. Um, and I'm not saying, you know, stumbling down drinking like you've drunk way too much, which, you know, I became an expert at, but um, it just becomes a sort of thing you have to, You become um, almost like a secret agent after a while. You just kind of, you know, you drink and you can understand how far you can push it yourself. You know how you can function uh, at a very high level while you drink.
0: So starting from teenage experimentation and getting the feeling that you really wanted to feel like that all the time, going through school and then getting a job. And so what happened in your 20s? Well,
1: uh, my 20s are, are are just a blur. Um, you know, that's it's, it's an existence that I don't wish on anyone because it's very much it erodes you and corrodes you from the inside. And um, there was just a lot of faking going on, a lot of, you know, sad shortcuts in life that I was trying to make. You know, I wasn't Um, You know, sure, I had a job and sure, I, you know, but I wouldn't call it a career. You know, I had family relationships, but I wouldn't call them deep relationships. I didn't have I had friendships, but I wouldn't call them close friendships. You know, I had like this, you know, blast zone around me that was just I kept everybody at an arm's length because what was going on inside me. Uh, was just this pure agony, and, uh, and but the thing, the problem is with alcoholism, you have to keep it going. You know, you have to keep that, you know, that fire burning within. Because if you stop, then you start going through maybe withdrawals, and maybe you start going through uh, mental torment. You can't sleep well, um, and you know everyone's used to a certain version of you at that point. So, um, going back to your earlier question about, um, you know, how do you hide it? You know, you just kind of keep it going, and then that just becomes who you are. So my 20s, like I said, it was just one thing after another. I didn't really have a purpose in life. I was just going from one thing to the next, you know, just wondering where my next drink was going to be. Um, And then my 20s became... Uh, I wasn't a wake up and drink sort of person, you know, it wasn't like I woke up and I'm like, oh, and, you know, I just suffered through those hangovers, you know, I suffered through the the blistering, and let me explain to you, those were blistering days, those first three hours of my day. But I, you know, I felt that was the, the price you paid for, you know, what I was going through. And, um, but like I said, I don't remember a lot of my 20s. And that's not to say that it was just a drunken blur, but it was uh, a, a really sad, uh, time in my life. And I just became a shell of a human being before I started understanding uh, the gravity of what I was dealing with.
0: So was there one particular turning point for you and you decided enough was enough? Or, I mean, you talked in your piece about watching the for sale sign being hammered into your front lawn. <laughs> yeah.
1: Um, yeah. And it's, uh, I wouldn't say that there was just one moment in my life. I wish there was, I wish there was just one turning point in my life. But, um, I had so many, um, you know, I, you know those cards you get at a store where it's like, you know, frequent shopper cards. If you had those for like alcoholism, I had, you know, punched every, you know, possible <laughs> one, you know, like every box on that card was punched. Um, I I had a DUI by the time uh, the end of my drinking came up, uh, you know, so I'd been pulled over and arrested for, you know, uh, I I almost came very close to being arrested a number of times for public intox. Um I lost a number of jobs. I made. Tons of bad decisions in my life, uh, some of which, you know, I'm still you know reconciling with. They keep me awake at night thinking about the things I did. Uh, fights with my family. Um, I didn't have any one turning point, but there uh, – so it wasn't anything like, you know, you are never going to drink again. You know, I told myself that every night. Like, you know, every night, like, tomorrow's going to be different. I'm not going to drink anymore. And then the next day, it was just, you know, it's just a routine. So I think that, um, sure, the, the thing that I mentioned in my piece, you know – there was literally uh, a real estate agent hammering a sign in our front yard saying, for sale. Um, and I just remember it was it was the saddest scene. It was just like something out of a movie. You know, it was like raining and it was like a gray sky. and She was wearing this black slicker oh. and she's literally just hammering it with this slow pace, you know. It was like driving a, a, a stake into my heart watching it. But I had literally drunk us out of um, a house because – I had lost a job. I lost any ancillary work that I had as a freelance writer at the time. um we just couldn't pay the mortgage um and it, it was and it was literally because I was drinking so much and I don't know if there's more of a, you know, there, there's no better sign in your life that you need to change something than looking out your window and seeing that. Um, and then while you have your, you know, very young child tugging on your leg, you know, is that in your pants leg, you know, it's that's I can't describe to you what sadness is, but that's uh, how sad my life was at the time. But that's a pretty good description of it.
0: So one day of not drinking turned into several days of not drinking. Yeah. Which turned into weeks of not drinking. And then you were on your way for real. Right, right. When did you decide you wanted to tell work about this?
1: So, um, a number of th- it wasn't so much I decided to tell work as I decided to tell the world. Um, I really just wanted to live my life as uh, I wanted to have an element of accountability that I'd never had in my life. I wanted to because I really wanted to be a sober person. I really wanted to be present. I really wanted to be a good father. I wanted to be a, a better husband. And I wanted to be a good employee, you know, and all of those things you know require you to not drink. Um, and I didn't know what that was like, because you got to think that I started drinking when I was 16. And there's a lot of studies that say when you start drinking um, at a young age and you start um, you know, you start drinking routinely, you kind of arrest your brain at that point in time. So, you know, I was literally, by the time I stopped drinking, still probably mentally 16 years old in a lot of ways, you know, like emotionally and everything, you know? So, um, so I, uh, I didn't decide to tell work. Like, like I, I was more like, I wanted to tell everybody and anyone who would listen that I was you know, I'm a recovering alcoholic. And it was a really hard thing for me to even say when I first set foot into an Alcoholics Anonymous room to say like, hi, I'm Paul and I'm an alcoholic. You know, now, you know, somebody will ask me to introduce myself at a work function. And I'll go, hi, I'm Paul. I'm an alcoholic. You know, it's like, I don't say that, but it's just like, <laughs> it's a reflex at this point. You know, it's just like, I'm so used to saying it, you know. Uh, But it was a really hard thing to come to terms with. But when I decided to tell work, you know, it was just, It's it's it's, I can't compartmentalize my life. I can't divide it. I can't you know keep this so hidden from everybody that because if I do if I if I do that that feeds the stigma of addiction because to me it's more or less the more we talk about. You know, that this is what happens to me. It makes people uncomfortable. Don't get me wrong. There's a number of people that I work with who I'll say, like, you know, I I went to an AA meeting last night. Or, you know, I'm three years sober or something like that. You can see it flash in their eyes. They're like, wow, this guy's really out there. But, you know, it's just not something people are used to hearing. But the more they hear it, you know, the more I hope that, you know, we can kind of get past that stigma. So telling work was a very big and very integral part of my recovery process. And I did it very early on. One day
0: of not drinking became a few days of not drinking, which turned
1: into a few weeks of not drinking, and you were on your way. Yeah. Absolutely, um, and it's not something. It sobriety to me was a really daunting task because it was—it's just this insurmountable goal. Because you're just—you—you you go from 20 years of drinking and drunkenness, and that's just part of your identity—is drinking. Um, that's just—you know—I couldn't imagine my life without drinking. I couldn't imagine—you know—not going to a wedding and you know having the 18 or 19 drinks that I would have, and that's probably an accurate number to be honest. But I—I uh, uh, I just couldn't imagine. I couldn't imagine going to airport and not drinking at seven in the morning where nobody bats an eye when you're traveling, you know, because that's part of the deal in an airport. But um, it, I just decided to do the one day at a time thing where it was, okay, let's just not drink today, you know, but it, and I wasn't a first time winner at recovery. You know, I, I stumbled and fell. I don't know how many times because... Either the withdrawals were too much or I just was uncomfortable being sober or I had headaches or, you know, I just didn't like – or I was going out with friends, you know, and I was like, oh, you know, whatever. I had a day, uh, you know, being sober. I'm just going to drink with my buddies I haven't seen in a while. Um, you know, but once I did, you know, like you said, to started piecing it together. Like one day became two days and then those two days became a week. And before I knew it, you know, I was looking back on, you know, half a year and that's when the fog really started clearing in my brain and I started going – Wow, you know, I've actually put some time together where there's a really nice stretch of me not having to depend on alcohol and not having to um, live my life like that. And, um, but, you know, that, like I said, it just, it's an incremental thing. And all we have is today because I have no idea what's going to happen tomorrow, but I know that I'm not going to drink today. I think
0: from somebody looking from the outside, I think getting sober and staying sober, probably two different sides of a coin. and, And it's, and it's terribly hard work. Who helps you? Who helps you every day?
1: Well, uh, you know, what's that phrase they always say? Like, it takes a village, you know, <laughs> so, like, you with, with me. It's, you know, that's very much it. There's no one person. Um, and I certainly can't help myself because, you know, I, we saw what that got me into uh, after, you know, 20 years of that. Um, so I had to pretty much surrender to a number of things and people. You know, I surrendered to, uh, I gave myself up to, uh, a, a you know, almost a committee of a sober community. You know, there's... Uh, there's so many people out there who I had no idea were suffering and struggling from the same thing I was. I had no idea. When I say I have no idea, I thought, oh, there's people who, you know, drink and they don't anymore. I had no idea there's like a vibrant community of happy, fulfilled people in life. And there's so many more of them than there are, you know, uh, you know, broken you know, individuals who are like sadly going through their day uh, like I was. Um, so, you know, I, I got a sponsor, which is somebody who uh, in the, you know, I got a sponsor in, in the AA rooms, uh, and that's somebody who watches over and gives you advice and really just makes sure you're following the path that, you know, a good sober path in recovery, because it's not about not drinking. It's about living a sober life. You know, it's about living a life. It's teaching you how to relive your life, because I never did that. You know, I I never... Uh, and that's why they have they celebrate birthdays in in recovery, um, you know. So if I celebrate, say, four years, they, there's usually a birthday cake at those meetings because you're four years old, you know. It's just like that your your life is you know very young in recovery. Um, so between my sponsor, um, between my you know my close friends, my family, uh, you know my mom. Um, you know, everybody, you know, I, I, I count on everybody. I have an amazing manager who's been incredibly supportive, uh, through this entire process too. And I was very open with very quickly about that as well. And she was just, I mean, I cannot describe to you the guardian angel that she's been in terms of that, because, you know, there's a lot of people that don't, I'm not necessarily saying managers here, but there's just a lot of people in general who don't understand the dynamics of addiction, uh, and they don't need to. But she understands what the dynamics of being a human being are. And I, I'm sick as well as, you know, is, if you were in the, the hospital having, you know, um, you know uh, an appendicitis or something. You know, it's, a, it's the same thing. It's a disease and it's a, it's a problem. It's a weakness. It's all of those things. So I depend on a, a number of people to get me through the day.
0: You, I think you've said before that the employee assistance program, the EAP, was actually very helpful to, to you in this process.
1: 100%. Um, I can't explain to you really like uh, how instrumental EAP was uh, to me. Uh, and I, I've said this before. I, I don't know if the EAP records those calls for privacy <laughs> or, or what, but if they were to pull my call <laughs> from years ago, uh, they would hear this very, very drunk, sad shell of a human being like I described. It was just the saddest call. I did not call um, there's an AA hotline, for example. It's like, you know, want to get sober? Call this number, you know, in here in central Ohio, there's a, a hotline you can call this 24 seven. I didn't do that. I've seen EAP advertised so much at JPMC. You know, I wasn't afraid of calling that number. Um, and I called EAP at something like two in the morning. And I remember thinking, I'm going to get a recording or I'm going to get like a voicemail box or something and they'll call me like a day later or something. Somebody picked up that phone that like a minute within me calling, maybe even less. I remember it was this very serene voice and it was just this very calming, how are you? Are you okay? What can we do for you? It's kind of like that OnStar thing that from cars, if you crash it, you know, make a, a roadside crash or something and they call, it's like, are, are you okay? This, <laughs> this voice comes over, you know, while you've made, had a car accident. It's kind of like what uh, EAP was for me. So they called and they immediately gave me local resources, including uh, counselors Um, treatment programs, everything within like a very close uh, vicinity that I could call later that day. Um, To me, it was the next, you know, tomorrow, even though it was like a couple hours later is when I would need to call. But it was amazing. I mean, it it really was. And I think that really got me on the path that I'm on now is that, um, you know, I'm not going to lie and say that it was immediately from that point on I got sober and that was it. But they really set the table for me. Uh, they, you know, and I was just, it, it really gave me all the this menu of options that I took advantage of. So it was amazing. So despite struggling with addiction for
0: a lot of your life, you you're married, you have three kids, you have a great job. What do you think it's, what has it cost you or or what are you most, you've said yourself you're very lucky in all of this. And you look at statistics from the World Health Organization that says that, you know, 3 million people a year die from alcohol abuse. And I guess, given that you've recovered your health, what lasting impression has it
1: left on your life? I, you said it. I mean, you. you I'm very lucky. I, um, I, I don't say that lightly either. I think that, you know, I used to think, oh, alcoholism isn't a real thing or it's just somebody that can't uh, handle their life or they can't handle their drinking or they can't handle their booze. They just have one too many. I have now seen in my uh, in my time in recovery, um, people die. I, I've I've had a number of folks from my um my home group in AA. I've seen a number of people in my family and some of my friends die from this disease. Um, I was in a treatment program. Um, I had, um, a several week stint in, in, a, in rehab and, uh, made close friends with people in there. You know, I, I was like, you bond with those folks because you're going through the same, uh, you're going through the same experience. And I would say out of that quote unquote, you know, class that I was in, you know, like the graduating class of that, you know, uh, treatment program, I would say two of us are still sober out of the 15 people I graduated with, quote, you know, like I said, I'm calling it graduation. But think about that statistic for a second, because, you know, that's just my personal statistic, you know, and of those people, some of them are in jail. Some of them have, um, you know, two of them have passed away from this disease. Uh, you know, one of them or two of them have had run-ins with the law, and some of them and some of them are still out there drinking. You know, some of them, some of them are just out there. Um, you know, still struggling with this. Some of them are still sick and suffering. Um, so I think I got really lucky. I think that I came to terms right when I needed to, because if I didn't, I was going to cross this invisible line where there was no coming back. And I don't mean that in some sort of you know. Hyperbolic way where i 'm just like you know oh, there was a point of no return. I think that it just happens. I think it 's just all of a sudden you 're out in the in no man 's land, and there 's just no coming back because you 've lost everything you 've lost your friends you 've lost your family you 're no longer employable you're you know you, you just have no self respect and I think that I got really lucky uh, because I was very close to that, and the longer i 'm in recovery, the more I have perspective on just how far I was out there you
0: 've talked about being A shell of a person, not being happy with who you are, not actually being anyone. And now, are you who you wanted to be now?
1: Oh, my. Yes, absolutely. 100%. And I didn't realize that I could be a person. You have to understand that, too. I didn't realize that I my identity was so wrapped up in being this, you know, fun, good time, Charlie, who's always out there, you know, like, you know, let's get another round out here. Let's get another round of drinks. You know, that was my, that was my sad existence. Like I was the the court jester. Now I have this very fulfilling life where my kids want to see me. Uh, they come up, you know, if I pick them up at daycare, they run toward me instead of, you know, away from me, for example. Uh, you know, it's, uh, I'm there for – I show up for for events. My dad passed away last January, and I was able to be present, and, you know, and I mean that both physically and mentally and emotionally. Um, so all three of those things, I was, you know, available to be there for my family. Um, but before that, I was – yeah, I was a definite shell because I was – it's so exhausting being out there in active addiction. It's so exhausting, not only from a physical sense, but you have to think about all the lies that you've told. You have to think about which lie did I tell and have to remember them. You have to think about Um, who you've offended and how many apologies you're going to have to make the next day. I don't know how many text messages I would send at night and the next morning look at them and go, oh my God, I have to, you know, what did I do? Or you have no memory of anything. You know, then that's the worst thing too. Now I remember everything. Now I remember I wake up and I feel calm. You know, I can go through my day and have a sense of peace, you know, and even if my worst day, you know, at home or, you know, the most challenging day at work is still light years better than the best day as an alcoholic. You know, the, it was just, you know, uh, it's it's just a night and day scenario. I can't even compare the two.
0: You've done a lot for getting people to open the doors to talking about it as as freely and openly as, as they can. And yeah. you... It, I think part of that has been part of your own recovery—that sense of responsibility and raising awareness. I think you have a podcast, don't you?
1: I do. I have a I have a uh, podcast called Drop the Needle, which is a music podcast, and so we pick a subject that relates to recovery. Um, it, it could be any. Tangential subject like, you know, responsibility or uh, shame or guilt or uh, any of those topics. And then we pick songs that remind us of that topic. So because, you know, recovery hits so many different topics. So and that's yeah. Thanks for the plug. <laughs> <laughs> so, Paul, if you know,
0: if you suspect somebody of battling addiction and they haven't raised it to you and say this person is within your own family or if you're a close team at
1: work. What do you do? It's a tricky question, um because it's it's so heartbreaking to watch somebody go through this. You know these are the people we love. These are the people we care about, and you don't think that you know alcoholism or drug addiction or any substance abuse uh, uh, issue or struggle can happen to us. So that's why you hear about people who enable other people. It's because you give them money or you you know feed that. Uh, you feed that disease accidentally because you're like, well, you know, those, the bad things happen to other people, but this is my family and this is my father. This is my, my sister. And this is my son who's going through this. So it's okay. You know, so we, we, we excuse a lot. So, you know, you have to really step back. I, that's the first thing I recommend somebody do is look at your part in it all because I'm not saying it's your fault, but look at your part and say like, look at it objectively because it's a really, it requires an, a huge amount of objectivity for a very personal subjective thing because uh, in all the same ways it took me 20 years to realize I was an alcoholic, it's probably going to take you it's just as long to recognize there's a problem going on with someone else um, because you, you're just so used to it. You're just so used to that problem. So if somebody is struggling, you can provide them any number of options just like EAP did with me. Here are all the resources that you have. Here are all the things you can do. But it's really setting that table for the other person and the, you know, the loved one in your life and saying, here are all the things that are available for you. you know, maybe one of these is a good option. But until that person recognizes themselves that they have an issue and they, they need to get better, you know, it's really just a, it can be a really excruciating experience for you while you watch that other person go through that because they have to come to terms with that themselves.
0: And given what you've learned, what would you say to employees who might be listening to this podcast who are battling through addictions of their own, whether it's alcohol, cigarettes, prescription drugs, uh, overeating, obsessive exercise, any sort of addiction, what's your message to them?
1: Personally speaking, I I was shocked that my story wasn't unique. I thought I was the only person in the history of the world to have this, you know, 20 year stretch of like, you know, I've outsmarted everyone, you know, like I am this, uh, you know, no one knew that I was an alcoholic, no one, you know, but everybody knew, you know, it was just like everybody knew that I was, you know, out there. So my message to people that are listening to this or employees that, um, you know, maybe struggling from a disease uh, like addiction is that your story is not unique either. There are other people just like you. Um, it's, there are, in fact, your story is so ununique unique that there are more stories out there about people in recovery that you'll be blown away. Because um, I, I, no one wants to face the fact that they're drinking more than they want to drink or they're eating more than they want to eat or you know, they're struggling with gambling or whatever the addiction may be. Um, there is hope. And that's the thing that you lose sight of when you're near in the depths of any addiction, is that, well, I've gotten this far in my life. I pushed it this far. You know, I've I've kept my foot in this accelerator for so long. There's no going back. You know, it's just more or less, I've already crashed through all these walls, so what's the difference? You know, uh, I'm just going to stay out here. And that's the that's the that's the sad trick that addiction plays, at least in my experience, in your brain, is that... It just it it wants you to stay sick there 's a really huge part of my brain that wants to to kill me you know there's there, it 's it's a sad reality of this for me um, and there 's nothing that would make my brain happier than to go across the street and go to the grocery store or liquor store and go over there at you know nine thirty in the morning and get a, a pint of vodka there 's no and I just have to fight that you know and, is, and that obsession goes away, but it is impossible when you 're struggling out there to have hope. And that's the biggest thing, is that there is hope. There are recovery groups. There are, you know, um, communities out there, like I said, vibrant communities of people who laugh. I thought AA rooms were filled with people who are like looking at their shoes and really remorseful, you know, and really sad and these really dark church basements. And it's not, you know, it's, it's <laughs> you know, lively conversations and people who hug and, you know, high five each other and celebrate and, you know, and there's just this like, knowing nodding that goes on in the room where you kind of go, yeah, I've been through that too. You know, like I, or I know where the story's going because I've been there too. It's, there's just so much hope out there. There is hope for recovery. You can get better because if anybody, if if I can get better, anybody can get better. Cause I was as out there with my alcoholism as anybody. So I implore anyone to look at, you know, my story is, you know, I was as alcoholic as anyone and I'm sitting here talking to you.
0: You're a dad to three kids, yeah. and one of them's getting near adolescence. <laughs> yep. How are you going to handle this? How
1: are you planning on talking to your kids about alcohol? Uh, I knew you were going to ask me that question. <laughs> so I was driving to work this morning. And I was th- and it wasn't in preparation of this podcast. It was driving to work and I was thinking about this. My son is about to turn 12. I have uh, an 11-year-old, an eight-year-old, and a four-year-old. Uh, my 11-year-old's very much like me. Uh, he's very, uh, very, and I mean that, like he's a very uh, sensitive, you know, kid with like, you know, doesn't have a second skin, nothing bounces off him. My, my middle child, you could talk to him about anything, and he's just like, you know, he's got all the emotional range of a daisy air rifle. And then my, my youngest is just happy to be here, and she just likes, likes eating grapes. So, But all three of them, I, ne- <laughs> I never for a million years thought that I would have to talk to my kids about this. I was just like, oh, I put this in the past. You know, I put this, uh, you know, this is all, this is something we're never going to have to talk about. But what I've started to learn is it's like I don't want to treat my alcoholism and and or my recovery with shame i don't want to talk to them about it like you know oh you you know your dad struggled with this and i'm really shameful about this i'm really filled with all this remorse and guilt and why i while i am you know i am incredibly you know remorseful for what happened in the past i can't do anything about it all i can do about it is you know treat alcoholism with um the seriousness that it requires and telling my educating my kids on what happened to me because there's probably a very likely case that they have a genetic predisposition they have a genetic predisposition for it as well um and you know they're primed for it so uh one of them you know statistically probably will struggle with this you know and i just want to be as open uh, with them about my recovery, for example. You get coins in AA rooms. You get for uh, you get coins for months of sobriety and you get them for years of sobriety. And I had um, I had all of my month coins and there's just like this rainbow of colors in a little Ziploc bag. And my oldest found that bag just rummaging around because he's a little pack rat and he found it somewhere and he was like, you know, oh, what are these cool little coins? <laughs> and these coins disappeared. I had no idea where these coins were. And so I was like, hey, does anyone know where my coins went? He goes, oh, these colored coins? And so that was the first entree I had to talk to him about what I, you know, where they came from. So instead of just saying, hey, these are, you know, you know, uh, colored sovereigns that are like pirate doubloons or something. It was like, you know, <laughs> I told them what they were for. You know, they, they marked time in my life. Like I got these for a month of not drinking. And, it, you know, he didn't quite understand what that meant. But, you know, planting the seed early with them and then them seeing that I'm waking up every day, going to a job, I go to meetings, I am present is probably a lot better than the, you know, being, you know, a drunken 45-degree angle of a person on a couch, you know, where they just, you know, lay up against me and then that's it You know, that's that's the only version of a dad they get so A very long answer to your short question is I plan to just keep doing what I'm doing is just, you know, educating them, being very open and honest about my struggles. Because if I become weird about it, if I become super sensitive about it, if I become anything more than just honest about it with them, I think that that probably pushes them even further toward what I struggled with. And I don't want to do that. I want to be, I want them to know, I want them warts and all, I want them to know everything that I struggled with because I do not want them to have to go through what I went through at all for one second. And that's why telling stories like this and sharing and being open is so incredibly important to me. I want to do that not only to the world, but I want to especially do it for my children. Well, that brings us to
0: the end of this episode. Thank you, Paul, so much for talking to us today. That was fantastic. If you're going through something new or challenging in your life, please, why not see how the firm can help Start at the Life Happens homepage on the internet for information on all the resources available to you in your location, including the ones we talked about with Paul today. And if you enjoyed this episode, please like or comment on the Ink app. And don't forget to leave us suggestions for future topics. Thanks again for tuning in, and I hope you'll join us next time on Life Happens.